hi, this is Glenn Rawson. One of the most powerful ways to share history and heritage is by the telling of stories. We began sharing inspiring stories nearly 30 years ago. Each of those stories is true and was intended to inspire and strengthen faith. Over the years, those stories have reached millions around the world. This podcast is for you to listen, learn, and enjoy. The story is told by the descendants of Gustavus or Gustavus, Gustavus and Eunice Perry, of a dark, stormy night, probably early in the year 1830, in the region of Lewis, Essex County, New York. According to the record, the work was done for the day on the Perry farm. The family was gathered in their kitchen. Their front door opened and a stranger entered the room. Now, the family was sitting around the fireplace. They spoke of him coming from the kitchen towards them. As he entered the room, he was an old man with a long, flowing white beard. The family noted that even though it was a rainy, stormy night, (laughs) you guessed it, there were no signs of rain on him. The old man, blessed them in the name of the Lord, and asked for food and lodging for the night, both of which were generously given. Somewhere in those first moments, the old man took a pack from his shoulder, opened it up, and pulled out a puppy, which he gave to the children to play with. Later that evening, he took from his pocket a book from which he began to read, telling them that it was soon to come forth and telling them, the Perry family, to get one at their first opportunity. Well, the next morning, the stranger mysteriously disappeared. No footprints, no sign of him. None of the neighbors saw him go, even though it was open daylight. Now, not too long after that, two elders from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints came into the area, Essex County, New York, preaching the Book of Mormon. The family obtained one, and in reading the book, they recognized the passages of Scripture the stranger had read to them on the night of his visit. In the year 1832, the Perry family joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. From that point forward, where the church went, the family of Gustavus and Eunice Perry was there. Eventually, they would settle in what would be known as Perry, Utah. Their second great-grandson, L. Tom Perry, was a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Whenever I hear these kinds of things, these kinds of stories, I am reminded of the importance of little decisions and their grand effect on the future. Your decisions now, yours and mine, to keep the faith and stay the course and stay on the covenant path and be good, be kind, and be courageous in keeping the faith Those decisions now, even though it seems to make no difference to anyone else, 
can, will, and surely must have an impact on your posterity for generations to come. Continuing on, I've talked about this fellow before, but he is a great one. Israel Barlow was born in 1806 in Massachusetts and baptized a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in 1832. He marched with Zion's camp in 1834 and was among those driven from far west Missouri in late 1838. Israel Barlow was one of the first to investigate the area that would later come to be known as Nauvoo. Israel was a trusted friend and a bodyguard of the prophet Joseph Smith. According to family records, in 1844, Joseph Smith requested Israel to take an errand of delivering a message to a brother who lived among those hostile to the church in Illinois. Israel was asked to, quote, make special observations of what he might see and hear while on this mission, end of quote. The prophet further told Israel to leave on this errand on a certain day, early in the morning, and ride to a certain man's home and there deliver the message. He was instructed to accept of their hospitality, which the prophet Joseph assured him they would extend to him. But, quoting now, said Joseph, let them put your horse up for you and eat supper with them. But when it becomes sundown, saddle your horse and leave. They will be insistent and try to persuade you to remain overnight. But if you value your life, do not stay, but leave and listen to the direction of the Spirit. End of quote. Well, Israel undertook the journey on the day set forth. Indeed, he found the man hospitable, just as Joseph had said, and the man did insist that Israel stay the night, but, obedient to the prophet, Israel departed at sundown for home. Quoting now, Just before he came to the river bridge, a voice said to him, Ride faster. He sped up his horse, and the voice repeated again and with more emphasis, Ride faster. And again he increased the speed of the animal when the voice said to him, Ride for your life. He then sped for all the animal's strength. As the horse's feet clattered across the bridge, he could hear a mob which had gathered in the brush to intercept him, cursing at the top of their voices. He had crossed the bridge but a short distance when the voice said to him again, Turn to the right. Israel wheeled his horse off the road into the brush toward the river, and there he stood in silence as the mob who had laid in wait, had mounted their horses and came racing over the bridge at breakneck speed after him, and down the road they went, pursuing him. After they had gone by, Israel wound his way from the river's edge to the bed of the stream and on through the willows. In the darkness, he made his way along the river in the opposite direction from which the mob had expected him to go. Finally, when he thought he was safe, several miles away, 
he emerged from the river bottoms and made his way over the country back into Nauvoo, arriving just as the day was breaking. There he saw the prophet Joseph walking up and down the street in front of his home. As Israel approached and alighted from his horse, he began to tell the prophet of his experience. The prophet stopped him and told him he need not tell him, for he already knew. The prophet told him that he had been up all night waiting for Israel's return and stated, I saw it all. You have no need to tell me. End of quote. Thereupon the prophet laid his hand upon Israel's shoulder and gave him a blessing and said, quote, Thee and thine shall never want. End of quote. Next story. The year was 1757. The place was Fort Edward, New York. Solomon Mack, a young man in his early 20s, had enlisted in the French and Indian War two years before and now found himself driving ox teams in the service of the crown. His teams became lost, and he and a companion went through the forest over a dangerous trail in search of his valuable animals. Suddenly, Solomon found himself face to face with four armed and hostile Native Americans about 150 yards ahead. His traveling companion was about 100 yards behind him. Alone, now, facing enemies, but not witless, Solomon suddenly cried out in a loud voice, Rush on, rush on, brave boys. We will have these devils. We'll have the devils. <laughs> Solomon later recorded what happened next. Quote, I had no other weapon, only a staff, but I ran towards them and the other man appearing in sight gave them a terrible fright and he said, I saw them no more, but I am bound to say the grass did not grow under my feet. Now, facing challenges head-on came to typify Solomon Mack's approach to life. It was a legacy which he would pass on to his posterity. Late fall, 1827, 70 years later, Solomon Mack's grandson, Joseph Smith, Jr., took a lesson from his revered grandfather. Having just obtained the gold plates of the Book of Mormon from the angel Moroni, mobs attempted at every devisable stratagem to get those plates from him. But Joseph had been commanded of Moroni to use every effort to keep them safe. Being warned that a mob might come, Joseph hid the plates beneath the hearthstones and secured them once more in place than a mob of armed men had stormed up and surrounded the house. Well, can you see the situation? Plates are supposedly hidden, but mobs surround the house. They want the plates, and they want them now. Thinking quickly, Joseph threw open the door of the house, and shouting as if he had an army at his command, ran from the house directly at the mob. 
every man in the Smith household, including Joseph's 15-year-old brother, Don Carlos, took up the act and charged out with such fury upon the mob that it struck them with terror and dismay, and they fled before the little Spartan band into the woods, end of quote. So said Lucy Mack Smith. And the plates were safe again. It's amazing what you can do when you have faith, and faith leads to courage. Well, this next one is my last story for the night, and it comes from 1981, and a dear sister named Afton May, or Afton Day, I think it's Afton Day, she published this story, I believe, either in the Enzyme or the New Era. And I'm going to paraphrase from the story and tell you the experience as you contemplate your forthcoming New Year's resolutions. Here it is. Since we are looking at making resolutions for the new year, I hope this next story <laughs> will be helpful and not detract. If it's discouraging, then I apologize in advance, but I love this story. Here you go. It was 11.30 p.m. on New Year's Eve, and after turning on the television to the Times Square celebration, Mom went out into the kitchen and, taking out a paper and pencil, wrote, New Year's Resolutions 1980. And then, oh, the lofty ideals that flowed freely from Afton's pen. She wrote, Number one, I will supply my husband's wants and needs with a sweet spirit. Number two, I will not become distraught with my children. Number three, I will have my visiting teaching done by the 15th of each month. Number four, I will lose 20 pounds. Well, about this time, her husband came through the kitchen on his way to the refrigerator. She tried to cover the paper, but he could tell what she was doing. Hmm, writing your resolutions, huh? Why not just get out the list you made last year? End of quote. Well, hurt, but undaunted, she continued. Number five, I will not get behind on the laundry. Again, she was interrupted, this time by her 12-year-old son, also on his way to the fridge. He too had figured out what she was doing, and he said, making your New Year's resolutions, right, Mom? Well, I don't mean to interfere, but aren't they the same ones you wrote last year? <laughs> well, Mom finished the list and attached it to the refrigerator with a magnetic tomato and joined her family for the celebration. Full of vigor and resolve, she was up early the next morning preparing food for the day. It wasn't long, New Year's Day, before her husband and son were completely absorbed in three different football games on two different television sets and a radio. Throughout the day, they surfaced only long enough to call out such things as, Hey, Mom, we're out of corn chips, or Honey, do we have any more of that pie you made last Thursday? By nightfall, she had delivered six ham sandwiches, 27 soft drinks, two bowls of potato chips, one drink of water, and a miscellany of crackers, cheese, and cookies. By day's end, her disposition was something less than sweet. 
The next day, she got up and fixed a special breakfast. Her son devoured a box of cereal instead. Her daughter, Kim, donned a new pair of designer jeans and a soft pink sweater to scrub the halls at school, while Carrie, her other daughter, who had received two new outfits and a pair of new shoes for Christmas, tearfully announced she had nothing to wear for school. Well, you can probably guess the rest. She gained five pounds within the next two weeks. The morning after her college psychology final, she was washing out socks and underwear by hand. And on January 29th, when she was asked to report her visiting teaching, she innocently asked, why are you calling me so early in the month? In less than 16 days, she had broken every resolve behind the tomato. So, <laughs> she made a new list, and it read as follows. Number one, I will stock the house with piles of sandwiches and gallons of milk and take my daughters to a movie on New Year's Day. Number two, I will forgive my children when they drive me up a wall and hope that they will extend the same courtesy to me. Number three, I will not ask to be released from being a visiting teacher. Number four, I will not gain 20 pounds. And number five, I will take my husband and my children on a tour of the house and show them where I keep the washer and dryer. And then she added a new one, and it read as follows. Number six. I will appreciate what little progress I do make despite my shortcomings. My friends, so it should be with us. Life is hard enough. And there's already too much out there of guilt, despair, discouragement. If we are not our own friends, who will be? Be a little more gentle on yourself. Trust a little bit more in the Lord who is mighty to save. Even, quote unquote, a helpless case and hopeless case like you and me. That comes from Enzyme, January 1981, Afton Day. Thank you for listening. Many of the stories you heard today have been published and are archived at glenrossonstories.com. If you would like more information, you can communicate with us there. We will be back again with another podcast next week. <laughs>